0: Hi and welcome to Things of Interest. I'm Sophia France, and I'm Serena Chan. And this week we're going to talk a bit about global warming and carbon footprints and just how the world is probably going to become very hot and unlivable for everyone including some really cool plants, a lot of corals, many animals and probably humans too. So just a real upbeat episode. <laughs> Strap in. Yeah, I guess my first thing is that I'm currently traveling quite a bit for work, so I'm flying to Sydney, to Sydney, and from Sydney once a week, and that's making me feel incredibly bad about my carbon footprint because, like, while air travel is basically a big bus that goes in the sky, mm. it's still like a bus that uses jet fuel. So I'm like particularly conscious of like the carbon footprint of everything I'm sort of eating and using right now. But um, I was wondering, mm. Serena, are you? Aware of like your carbon footprint as
1: like a general concept? Probably not as much as I could be. I did go through a phase of being very I would pick up an apple and think about all the transport that went into it to take it from possibly Hawke's Bay to here or like an orange and think, oh god, that would have been shipped from a container like from California across the seas for like six months or some shit. But like many other environmental issues, if you think about it too much, you kind of like stop functioning as a human being. So I don't think I'm as aware as I could be about my carbon footprint in general.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's a bit it's a bit easier in New Zealand because I believe the bulk of our electricity comes from renewable energy sources.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, although I heard, and a friend of mine tweeted the other day, and I should have looked into this, but I had a meeting. Apparently it's... Hydro dams are more—they put more carbon in the atmosphere than fossil fuels, or something. And he's someone who wouldn't tweet that without like some kind of basis. So that made See, me rather worried. That's just that's just very stressful because that's incredibly stressful. I
0: understood hydro dams as like you, some water's high up, and then when you drop the water, you gather that energy through a turbine and use that to create electricity with I don't know magnets or some shit. Mm. To now be like, well, maybe water is bad. So there's a question of, like, putting carbon in the atmosphere, but I think there is also the question of things like particulate matter, which is what coal is very, very bad for, and that's why air in some places is very bad. And all of the other, like, bullshit surrounding coal. Just, Mm. ugh, coal. Australia is very big on coal. There was a situation, I think, a year over a year ago in Parliament where, like, one of the pro-coal MPs bought in a chunk of coal to Parliament and, <laughs> like, held it and was like, this is a good thing. This coal, this is good. It's just, Okay. Yeah, yeah it's, Australia's <laughs> not, for a country that could theoretically get so much solar power from everywhere ever always, it's a country that isn't very into renewable energy <laughs>
1: That's very strange to me, because solar power is getting cheaper and cheaper by the day. And there's so much fucking sun yeah. in Australia. It won't go away.
0: Australia is one of the places that coined the term wind turbine syndrome, which is when you get sick, when you live near wind turbines, it is not real.
1: <laughs> is that like fan death?
0: No, no. Fan <laughs> death is a very different thing. Just
1: creepy creepypasta on the internet. <laughs>
0: Oh, I'm actually proud that I got that reference, because I think I only learned about (laughs) fan death like a couple of months ago.
1: For those um, listening who don't know, fan death is like, it's not real, but it's pretty much like a creepy meme that went around the internet, mostly in, I think, Korea, question mark? Um, Talking about how if you leave your fan on overnight, it'll like suffocate all the air out of the room and then you'll die. Not true, by the way, if it's hot. (laughs) feel free to leave the fan on as long as there's no fire risk and, you know, you're okay with the electricity. But, yeah, that is that is a thing on the internets.
0: Yeah, wind turbine syndrome is, like, the symptoms are theoretically, like, any number of chronic illnesses that don't have sort of defined, pinned-down diagnoses. So, like, chronic fatigue, you sort of, like, you have those body aches, you can't do so much, you get brain fog. Except the difference between chronic fatigue and wind turbine syndrome is chronic fatigue is real – and winton syndrome is a lie that has been, like, sort of double-blind tested and found to not be real. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like, uh, people used to talk about Chinese restaurant syndrome. Oh, yeah. And they would talk about being very sensitive to MSG, and then a bunch of studies were done where people would not know if there was MSG in the food they were eating or not, and they yep. just wouldn't get sick if they ate MSG and didn't know it was there.
1: Yep. Your body's racist. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thanks buddy similarly
0: like if you're near a wind turbine and you don't know that you're near a wind turbine you don't get sick even if you have so-called wind turbine syndrome it was brought out by i think malcolm roberts who is a member of australia's one nation party which are the the bad party they're the bad one (laughs) as just like this case against renewables about how secretly wind turbines are evil and scientists are all in a giant conspiracy and global warming isn't real so you know good life
1: Um, I found some articles about the hydro dam thing. Mm -hmm. So this is one from New Scientist. um, Quote, hydroelectric dams produce significant amounts of carbon dioxide and methane, and in some cases produce more of these greenhouse gases than power plants running on fossil fuels. Carbon emissions vary from dam to dam. Uh, This is from February 24, 2005. I just... Are they better now? Please tell me they're better now.
0: I mean, Come like, on, does does the article go into what that carbon emission and methane emission comes from? Probably yes. So, so for example, like I know that a lot of um, wastewater and sewage treatment plants produce like bundles of methane, and they often just burn it off. Yeah. If it's a similar like bits of the riverbed, ocean water, thi- I don't really understand water. Which I feel is gonna become very obvious <laughs> during this episode, but if it's just like a water thing, then like that's kind of okay
1: yeah i'm I'm not sure i'm is it because we're storing the water in that's a habit for algae that's making methane? I don't know, I don't know how the world works <laughs>
0: 'cause like so my understanding was that the oceans can like absorb carbon dioxide and then they get really acidic and fish die.
1: Yes, yes, this is true.
0: So surely other large bodies of water should also absorb carbon dioxide.
1: This is this article is not... Okay, let me just Google it. How... Okay, so why hydro dams produce so much methane and carbon dioxide is because there's large reservoirs of still water, and where there's still fresh water, there's a lot of life um, and vegetation. And as it turns out, it's the rotting vegetation in the water means that these dams emit about a billion tons of greenhouse gases every year.
0: Yeah, but that's like that's more okay than getting greenhouse gases from burning coal, you know?
1: It's weird because now we're we're in a situation where it's like what's more important the end or the means of how it got there like us humans um burning off coal actually putting Directly putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, that's obviously bad. But now we have to think about, well, we have some control over the environment around us. We have some control over, say, dairy farms, with all of our cows emitting all this methane into the atmosphere. And that's a huge greenhouse gas emitter, which is dairy farms and livestock. So it's like, okay, do we, you know, is that just as bad as us burning coal? And now we have to talk about, okay, shit. Now we have large still bodies of water that we use for power. Like how do we get around that? I think I think even though hydro dams are obviously better than burning coal, this is still probably a problem we'll have to deal with. Yeah, and
0: like I mean hydro dams definitely aren't blameless in the way that they edit the environment around them. Mm. That is it often has very dramatic effects on the surrounding environment, particularly if you use like a lake that was not there before and you flood somewhere. Yeah. So I think like in the South Island some of the lakes that we use for hydro dams were there already. Mm-hmm. I say tentatively like it's true and we just kind of were like, "Oh, we'll just we'll just let them out and we'll control how we let them out." And so like in that instance, like the fact that there is a large amount of methane being produced was like, "Well,
1: yeah, it was anyway like lakes exist." Yeah, I wonder how we'll solve that problem because I can see it becoming an issue if if the general public think hydro dams good burning fossil fuels bad which is you know good it's, I think that's correct um i'm worried that that might cover up the issue of people not knowing um there's also extra stuff that we have to do to make sure our hydro dams don't generate more <laughs> greenhouse gases
0: i mean by and large like the major problem that we're facing is the fact that we're demanding so much from like the earth right
1: oh yeah that's (laughs) that's the root of the problem
0: (laughs) like in New Zealand I think we're shielded from it quite a bit because like you know there's four and a half million people in New Zealand even Mm. in Australia considering like the vast quantities of space that can be used for solar power like it could probably be sustained quite easily on renewable energy Um, but then you look somewhere like Japan or China and it's kind of like oh yikes yeah That's not going to go great.
1: (laughs) What are your thoughts about um, nuclear energy?
0: So I'm supportive of nuclear energy. Um, I think it needs to not be somewhere where there are fault lines. (laughs) So (laughs) Japan, no. New Zealand, never. Europe, eh, there's no fault lines there. They can go for gold. I think there also needs to be a very clear way of managing the waste. So essentially yes. like nuclear waste can continue to be used to create nuclear power. You just get like diminishing returns off it. And so generally when it just gets to a point where the returns are too low to be bothered, like, you know, doing whatever that they do to the nuclear stuff, the uranium, people just bury it in a hole somewhere. And in the U S they typically bury it in a hole near native reservations or in Mexico somewhere and just cause mm. severe diseases in the surrounding people. I think there also needs to be a consciousness of culture surrounding those things. So mm. there's um, there's uranium in Australia, and typically the indigenous people who live in the same areas as uranium, like in the earth, um, have some very clear cultural lines where it's just like you do not go near that, like you do not mind that. That is where death happens, and it's like that's a very understandable response to the fact that there are literally rocks in the ground that will kill you. I think there needs to be – if Australia was to look at building nuclear power plants, I think there would need to be a very frank discussion about how to move forward while appropriately managing to, like, be respectful of the indigenous cultures. Mm. Yeah, so broadly, like, yeah. in favour of nuclear power, very context dependent on when I'm in yeah. favour of it.
1: Yeah, I think it's very good for if you have very dense cities, um, dense populations, Because it produces a a lot of power at one site. So if you've got a population that's quite spread out, like New Zealand is, it's much better to have power plants that are smaller and more spread out. It should follow the the density of the population that it's serving. That and, you know, fault lines. (laughs) 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 That would be bad.
0: Having said that, like, Fukushima was incredibly well managed.
1: It was. Japan is a place with earthquakes and that's not great, Yeah.
0: No, I did um I did an article on Chernobyl when I was in school, in high mm. school. And essentially, like, learning about the Chernobyl disaster, everything I read, I was like, but this was a terrible choice.
1: <laughs>
0: like, so it was a plan for a nuclear power plant that had been rejected by the US due to being unsafe. And it was being run by a skeleton crew and, like, less than a skeleton crew. So fewer people than, like, the regulations asked for. And people keep being like, no, we can manage this emergency internally. And it's like, you absolutely cannot.
1: This is some reactor meltdown. <laughs> Science says no. Yeah. Science says get out.
0: Yeah. So, like, I very much understand the kind of fear that's around nuclear energy. And I think particularly, like, the very strong anti-nuclear sentiment in New Zealand makes absolute sense being a country that is mostly fault lines. Yeah. But it's also kind of like, if we make better choices, it's not actually that bad.
1: <laughs> Yeah, and I think those better choices really have to be strongly incentivized as well. Because I, from the little that I do understand, you can process the used nuclear waste, um, so that it is safe mm. to bury, so you don't have to actually, you know. There was a, um, a great episode, I think it was 99% Invisible, they did a great episode about trying to design signage for nuclear waste sites because that nuclear waste was going to be radioactive and harmful for the next something like 5,000 years. So they had a really interesting design challenge, which was um, how do we design signage that says don't go here and how is it going to like communicate to people 5,000 years into the future? Which is a cute design challenge, but then it's like there are ways we can process this waste so that it's safe to bury and we don't have to do this. It's just not financially incentivized. Because it's not financially incentivized enough, people just chuck it out and not not care about it and give the problem to a designer for some reason. <laughs> no, just process your freaking waste. So that's that would be another thing that would have to happen if, um, if nuclear energy were a thing.
0: I mean, it could be particularly useful if we look at interstellar travel as well, of course. Yeah. Because like, if you're traveling away from the sun... There are a limited number of energy options available to you. Mm. <laughs> and uranium is lighter than all of the coal you would need. <laughs>
1: this, is, this is true. It is um, much more densely packed energy. <laughs> I like how you're thinking about space travel.
0: I'm always thinking about space travel.
1: Mm. Optimistic in, a, in the world of today. <laughs>
0: well, I don't know. All I have to do is, like, cozy up to Elon Musk. <laughs> Be like, hey, I hear you like blondes. i have a wig and then yeah i'll just work from there really (laughs) it's a plan no i was reading something quite interesting the other day about how because landfills are it was a piece on the spin-off actually Mm -hmm. because landfills are anaerobic environments there's actually very very slow breakdown of everything you put in there so like even a banana Mm -hmm. skin which generally composts quite readily takes like two years to break down within a landfill Mm. which is just wild to me that like such an environment is in such wide use for ways of dealing with our waste
1: yeah it's wild to me that like we're in an age of such technological advance and yet the best way we have of dealing with waste is still just to bury it and uh not look at it
0: (laughs) (laughs) and continue to use plastics derived from oil like
1: yeah what the fuck and also and i think this happens in quite a few places in new zealand because we're so small is that when you know you sort your recycling and um your recycling gets taken away different to your landfill but a lot of the recycling just gets buried in a different lot what because um we don't have the money or the resource or i don't know the demand to keep recycling um, and the idea is that in the future, when we do have better recycling technology, we'll dig it up and recycle it. See, I just...
0: People in New Zealand compare New Zealand to Scandinavia a lot, despite the fundamental differences in our countries.
1: Yeah, we're not sitting on oil. <laughs> we're not ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also,
0: like, fucking Sweden's been importing waste. I think, like, they're just very good at recycling and they use some of it to um, fuel their power plants. And so they've had to, like, be importing recycling and rubbish in order to, like, run their country.
1: That's kind of cool. I'm just like, can't we do that? Yeah. I think the one fallacy of, like, modelling everything on Scandinavian countries, which I, for one, am a fan of. I do love their models. But the one fallacy is that they are very, very, very rich. They have many monies. (laughs) Many, many dollars. (laughs) I mean... And
0: they've normalized, like, the amount of tax they pay, right?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, like,
0: absolutely. taxes are sort of, you know, above 50% for a lot of income brackets. Mm. Whereas in New Zealand, they're like, ooh, 33%, oh, bit high. Did you hear about,
1: I, only, I didn't see this, but I heard about it, Um, someone on TV, I think it was, like, News Hub or something, mm. a host on one of their TV shows was, like, talking about the budget 2018 that just came out. And he was like, oh, well, I think my tenants should know that their rent's going to go up, like announcing it on live TV. Yikes. Which was just, wow. How was the budget? I,
0: I've only seen Jacinda be like fab in Parliament and they like 45 second clip that's been going around Twitter. So <laughs> can you just give me a breakdown of the budget?
1: I actually <laughs> haven't read all of it. So I <laughs> don't know. I've only heard, like, I've been pretty offline for the past <laughs> month or so. I've heard a lot of mixed reviews. Here we go. Mixed reviews on Budget 2018. A lot of, like, really nice photos of, you know, the rainbow flag being flown at Parliament. But also a lot of criticisms around how they're actually not spending that much at all. In fact, I saw, I think, one Radio New Zealand article calling it like National's 10th budget mm. instead of Labour's first budget because they were spending, I think, less than National did as a fraction of GDP, yeah. which is surprising because usually when a left-leaning government comes in, they usually spend more. They usually hire more people, um, start up more programs, do more government things, essentially. Yeah. The government is generally larger.
0: It could have been a consciousness of the fact that like National is going to criticise them for spending as much as they do, regardless of how much they spend. But I don't know if that's, you know, the right response. The main thing I read yeah. about the budget was the fact that it's – there's large increases in police and prison spending. That's interesting. Budget 2018 is the first budget in New Zealand history to spend more than $1 billion on prison-based custodial services, um, which I'm getting from people against prisons aotearoa on Twitter who are generally quite a good source of information. Mm. And – that seems bad and not like what, you know, a sort of... I feel like the current Labor government has been sold, particularly to young people, as being like a loving, kind government.
1: Yeah, like, uh, all your socialist dreams will come true. That's at odds with spending more
0: than $1 billion on prison-based custodial services, because quite clearly the bulk of, like, rehabilitation with regards to crime should occur within the community, but okay...
1: I heard that um, health spending had a tiny injection, but it it was described as not barely enough to keep it going. So that doesn't sound good. But disclaimer, I haven't actually read the actual budget. This is all stuff that I've heard, articles that I've read. But still, it doesn't sound great. Mixed reviews is all I know.
0: Yeah, the total corrections budget for 2018-2019 is $1.966
1: Ooh.
0: That's like a lot of money. And money that could be spent on like drug and alcohol programs.
1: Yeah.
0: Or on supporting people who perform crime to like feed their families. Or I don't know, just like fucking legalize marijuana, take the gang's main source of like income away from them and tax it. Like, done, (laughs) solved. You're welcome, New Zealand. I'm fixing your problems. (laughs) I think it, I think this is also very much a, um, you know when you watch Who Wants to be a Millionaire and you know like all the answers and you're just like, Why are these people not getting the answers? <laughs> I feel like that's also the gap that exists between us and people who are actually in government. <laughs> like it's probably a much more difficult job when you're actually there.
1: Yeah, so they have they have a lot more pressure, to put it lightly, <laughs> from all all of the different directions, from all four point five million people in the country. It is a bit of a disappointment, though. This article title from Radio New Zealand says, Budget 18, a triumph of neoliberalism.
0: Neoliberalism. Ugh. What about other like global warming-y stuff? What other kind of stuff are you conscious of?
1: I'm very conscious of the fact that there's very little we can do, which is uh, an everyday frustration, really. I'm very conscious of the fact that the damage that we've done to our environment on a global scale is irreversible. Yep, irreversible. That's that's that. And the only thing we can do is like try to stop damaging the environment as much and hopefully if humans are still around in 5 to 10 generations the earth will be a habitable place again. <laughs> but the the damage that we've done so far, like I read an article somewhere that said even if we everyone was to halt all greenhouse gas production just Everywhere all at once it, we'd still see a significant climate change. The seas would still rise a couple of meters like it's it's done yeah <laughs> and and it's like scientists have been warning us for literally decades, like I remember being yeah, a kid since the sixties, yeah, being a kid, and like reading children's books about greenhouse gases and global warming, and how like we really need to stop putting so much frickin particulates in in the atmosphere. And yet, here we are. I remember maybe like five, six years ago, like scientists being like, hey, we need to stop this by like 2016, otherwise, otherwise, we're doomed. Yeah. I watched an
0: Inconvenient Truth. I remember that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And like, of course, nothing happened. And now we're here, and it's like, okay, what can we do? Well, in our lifetime, to change anything in our lifetime, nothing. <laughs>
0: something that's really frustrated me has been this idea that an individual can make changes to their lifestyle and in doing that help when it's like, yeah. I mean, the big companies are the reason that this is super bad. Like, exactly, you know, like the reason there's like terrible droughts in California is not unrelated to Nestle buying up all the water. The reason that like we're continuing to have like, oil and plastics everywhere all the time ever is not unrelated to lobby groups from those big corporations like this idea that the individual can somehow make it better by not driving it's something that makes you feel better while the world goes to shit right and like if that's yeah. what you need to live then fine but realistically like this idea that was sold that we as an individual can vote with our dollars and change things is like it's kind of fake I'm more than willing to support, like, you know, capitalism meaning that things like moon cups become more mainstream, right? Decreasing the amount of trash that we're creating. Like, that's fucking excellent. I am not mm-hmm. willing to believe that that is a solution for everything. And I strongly suspect that when corporations have monopolies and, like, cannot allow other groups to break in, like, I haven't seen a eco-friendly plastic since I've moved to Australia. So uh the place I worked in high school had those bags that can like you can compost. Yeah. Um so like they're plastic in the sense that they're a polymer but they're a plant based polymer. I've never seen that in Australia because like you just can't break into the market because there is a monopoly on the market. Like <laughs> And yeah. so it's like we don't have a choice. Like we can't vote with our dollars. It's like the um case where oh a bunch of bunch of major corporations in New Zealand were found to be underpaying
1: workers. Quite recently, mm. did you hear about that? Um, I feel like I hear about this every other year. <laughs> no, I don't think I've heard about the most recent one, though. It's like 16
0: retailers, retail chains, accused of underpaying staff. I'm getting this from an article on Radio New Zealand. And, you know, they include, like, a number of things, but they also include both Countdown and Pack and Save, which is, like, are good. the The two major supermarket chains, really easy to make that choice and impact things and it's like i mean realistically that's why we have governments right like and i'm at risk of being outed as not a pure socialist um i'm a really big (laughs) fan of like that interplay between capitalism and government but when it comes to global warming all of that pressure has been on us and it's like well no the government actually has to sit up and do something
1: yeah regulations work and like i don't want to the person that sounds like who thinks regulations solve everything they don't but this is exactly the purpose for regulation is when there are monopolies when consumers don't actually have a viable choice and a lot of the times like you don't have enough money to do the money voting voting with your wallet kind of thing you have to just buy the cheapest groceries for your family so this is where voting with your wallet doesn't really make any sense yeah you you need like this is the place where a government needs to step in and say yo sit the fuck down also produce
0: fewer carbon emissions
1: (laughs) (laughs) i was hoping sit the fuck down could be a metaphor for for all of the problems yeah <laughs> it's one of those things where like global warming is one of those things where it's like i don't know there's there's a feeling of helplessness to it which i don't like but is there i guess we we do what we can you know i think general rule of thumb try not to be wasteful especially with food waste oh my god don't get me started about food waste in, in countries like new zealand australia us mm. uk like we waste so much food and it boggles the mind
0: yeah, there's a couple of cool things in Australia that I'm aware of. So um, there's a group that gets uh, rejected fruit and vegetables from supermarkets and makes them into pickles hmm. and sells the pickles. Nice. <laughs> Which
1: is very cute. Yeah.
0: By and large. And when you consider how many people don't have money for food in yeah. our supposedly developed countries, food waste is so awful.
1: So awful. I remember there was one time I went grocery shopping with my mum and my nana uh, at Pack and Save. And you know how at supermarkets they've got these bins next to the fresh produce Mm. where they like put all of the like offcuts and scraps from lettuce or spinach or stuff like that? Mm. My nana saw it. And my nana grew up in China, very poor. So did my parents. And she saw the like. the bin of scraps and she started digging through it and like getting a bag and like collecting the scraps she was like oh well like if they're gonna go in the bin anyway like I'll have them (laughs) and she was stopped by a store employee and she was informed that like she was not allowed to have the scraps even though they were just gonna throw it away which like I understand why you know there's laws around what quality of produce you sell, I'm sure. And, um, I can say I probably don't want to be liable in case she gets sick, blah, 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 blah. But still it was, it was kind of heartbreaking because they were going to go in the bin and my Nana, so she just couldn't comprehend why they couldn't give it to her. And she was just standing there for ages being like, no, but you're going to throw this in the bin. (laughs) Let me have it. It's a weird, weird world we live in. Yeah, one of the strangest things I find about even New Zealand
0: and Australian supermarkets, but when we we're in the US, it was very bizarre how perfect all of the food in supermarkets is. Yeah. Because, like, I'm fine with my apples having, like, those weird, like, I think they're called fly spots, those weird little black bumps in them. Like, yeah. it's chill as hell. Like, you eat around that. But this, like, you can even eat it. It's all yeah, yeah. so good. Like, this airbrushed produce giving you this idea of perfection i just find so bizarre it's um oh so one of the kind of fun facts about food um not food security so much as food efficiency and global warming is it's actually like a lot of the time it's more efficient with regards to like sort of carbon emissions and things like that to import plants from where they grow naturally outside Mm
1: -hmm. rather
0: than creating a artificial environment to grow it where you are. Yeah. So like rather than having a heated greenhouse just like fucking import it. And that's something quite that I really like. I like that. It's like globalization for good.
1: Hmm.
0: How many earths would it take to feed the world if everyone was like you? And it was oh like God. it was like three and a half or something. And I'm like, fam, um, I eat meat once a week. Calm down. I'm doing great, buddy. I'm currently living in a two-bedroom apartment by myself and it's the most space i've ever had to myself Mm. and i love it and i only feel slightly guilty (laughs) (laughs) because in my defense and this is how i've been justifying it to myself i'm in an apartment building so really there's like five people living in this land space
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah apartments are apartments are great they're they're underrated I think especially in, like, the whole New Zealand culture around housing as well. New Zealand hates apartments. Oh, my God. New Zealand hates (laughs) apartments, yeah. But, like, so I have lived in flats that were houses ever since I've been, ever since I left home. And I'm currently living in a a small apartment, but an apartment. And it is the nicest living conditions I have ever been in since I've left home. Like, it's just warm and dry and nice. And, like, yes, it's a bit smaller, but I'm not sick. And depending so, on
0: how high up you are, it can be really quiet while still being on a main drag. Like, these are yeah. really important things. Like, mine has insulation and it's got yeah. soundproofing and I love it.
1: Double glazing. Yeah.
0: it's Put up my shitty blind. Like <laughs> mm.
1: Yeah, I think that has to be some kind of cultural change because... With the housing market as it is right now, it's just. Uh, so we went to White Man Behind a Desk live oh, last nice. night, which was really fun. It was really entertaining. Um, for those of you who are listening who don't know, White Man Behind a Desk is a YouTube series that's very, very like Last Week Tonight, if if you're familiar with that. So it's a lot of political comedy. Yeah, and it's 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 good. It's good times. It's good fun. So. Last night he was talking about housing in New Zealand and and he was very frank, telling the audience, everyone, you should just accept the fact that you are never going to own a home. And everyone in the audience was like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Especially in Wellington, because there's like no homes for sale in Wellington. By none, I mean like a fraction of what you would get in another city mm. and they're all, like, at least 150% above the rateable value. It's it's ridiculous. Like, if we were looking for a house, Greg and I would be looking for a house, like, as two people together, which makes it half as hard, and we are having trouble. Because
0: so. you've been looking a little bit, eh?
1: Yeah, we've been looking a little bit. And it's not like we don't earn anything. It's like, okay, no, we earn a reasonable amount of money. We should be able to find our house. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So it's, it's one of those things, I think, that has to be a cultural change when it comes to housing and the environment is just, like, being okay with the idea of living smaller. And living, like, living in an apartment.
0: Like, there's this idea that... You know, and I've definitely bought into it to an extent, but, like, that, you know, when you finally bought a house, you have a backyard, yeah. you have, like, space. hmm And I don't think that's practical. I think really we should be looking at our choices. It's either you have a farm and you upkeep the goddamn farm, <laughs> or you live in an apartment. Like, and yes, there are places in between that, but, like, pick the end you like more.
1: Mm-hmm
0: and then work around that.
1: <laughs> and I think I'm guilty of doing this too. Like I personally also have this image in my mind that one day I'll own a house with a backyard and there'll be a garden and I can like grow vegetables and it's it's going to be very picturesque, but um, yeah. I mean,
0: my family have, um, home has a backyard full of vegetables and a beehive. A
1: beehive.
0: And just, like, my parents are going to die one day and then I can live there. Like, <laughs> that's
1: fine. That's the plan.
0: Yeah. Long-term goals, parents dying. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. Too real. Um, I went to a comedy show during the Melbourne Comedy Festival where the comic was made by the person presenting It sort of – Everyone our age who buys a house is generally mm. because someone has died. And so when someone buys a house, the first thing she says is, Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me getting this place was pretty much only possible because uh, my grandma passed away. And so I had savings from that.
1: Mm.
0: And it's just I'm like, Yep. Yup,
1: mm. Thank you. <laughs>
0: thank you. <laughs> uh, too real. Yeah. Oh. And I mean, I think living in apartments makes sense like having mentioned the beehive it's now kind of like you know what beehives are warm apartment buildings are warm you have fewer external walls it's great mm. like it's a it's a very very good way of living and new zealand has been solved this idea that you have you have the outdoors in your living space. And I think we have excellent access to the outdoors and that's incredible. Mm. Um, being within driving distance of like both a beach and a mountain range and like just fucking forests everywhere. It's excellent, yeah. yeah. But we cannot
1: expect to have that in our houses. We can't expect to own all own a part of that. <laughs> yeah. Like
0: privately. We collectively own that mm. through the public good. Yes, <laughs> like, that is what the government does, <laughs> and national parks,
1: national parks uh, reservations. National parks are so
0: good. I just want to come home now. This <laughs> is a bad episode. I'm like, oh, oh, oh I miss New Zealand.
1: <laughs> well, we can we can talk about the dairy industry if you want to okay, miss New no, Zealand I'm less.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing is having having bought this place and working in Sydney currently, I'll talk to my colleagues in Sydney and they will be so impressed by how cheap it was. <laughs> and mm. I'm like, oh no, it is Yeah, it was kind of below average for the area because like they couldn't shift the apartment for various boring reasons. Um, men I got it like sort of twenty five thousand cheaper than asking price than the oh, original nice. asking price was. Yeah. Fucking killed it. <laughs> but it's still just like to buy anything in sydney is like well good luck yeah <laughs> it will be horrible and then you will die <laughs> and they'll probably still take your money i haven't explored sydney very much but my instinct is that it is a poorly designed city
1: mm-hmm. and i don't that, think i've ever been
0: oh uh, it's so it's based around sort of a harbor mouth like many major cities are
1: mm-hmm.
0: but the harbor's kind of spiky so a lot of rivers feed into it so rather than being sort of nice round harbour like you get in toronga it's a weird spiky harbour and there's a bunch of bridges connecting the spikes and people live on all the spikes and some spikes you can drive to and some spikes you can get a train to but some of them you have to get a ferry to and it's like this seems inconsistent and poorly designed Mm. and they're just they're not the space has not been used effectively in sydney is my instinct but you know yeah Neither is it in Melbourne or New Zealand, so whatever, I guess.
1: Yeah. City design is such a fascinating thing. It's like architecture, but next level architecture.
0: <laughs> we can do an episode where I get my dad on the call.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> like, is he, um, does he do like civil engineering? He's a town planner. Oh, fantastic.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, literally his job. Um, his focus is on environmental stuff as well. So I very much grew up in a sort of house where we were conscious of things like global warming. Yeah. Um, uh, he's worked with groups in Samoa about um, protecting their villages from sea level rise, um, which meant he was in Samoa when there was mm. an earthquake and tsunami. Oh God! Uh, which was a bit stressful, um, yeah. but he turned out okay. This was the sort of stories I got told growing up. Was like my dad would tell me about his work, and it would all be things like global warming is going to happen. Here is how we stop it from destroying everything. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that that would be fascinating. That'd be a great episode. <laughs> we should definitely do that.
0: I'd have to give my parents my Skype details. <laughs> um, when I called home for Mother's Day, uh, I was talking to mum on the phone and dad took a photo of her on the phone to me mm-hmm. and emailed it to me with a caption, is this Skyping? <laughs> and I was like, oh, very good. <laughs> oh, did you do Mother's
1: Day? Uh, no, no, because it was during the 48-hour weekend. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. How was that? That was wild. It was a wild time. We had a team that was a third the size of our normal team this year. Good. So very small team. I was a bit worried. We also entered into Ultra, which is like the extra. So 48 Hours is a filmmaking competition where you make an entire short film in 48 hours. No exceptions. If you're one second late, they throw your Mm -hmm. film out. So no exceptions. And you have to write it. Um, rehearse it, shoot it, cut it, do everything in that 48 hours. So it is difficult. It's a challenge. And we signed up for Ultra, which is like a challenge on top of that because we love pain. Mm. And this year the Ultra challenge was that all of our main characters had to be either children or animals. Because as the film saying goes, you never work with children or animals. Yes, yes, very good. (laughs) so that was that was a fun time but we we actually did pretty well. I'm so proud of our tiny team. We wrote a pretty cute story uh our main character was a kid uh he's like in the back of a car, just you know chilling when the car gets robbed by mm. some criminals, and then you f- you know follow follow a story of being a fish out of the water, yeah, and we finished on time. It looked good. It sounds great. I'm just, yeah, really proud of our little team. And it was fun. And I got three hours of sleep the whole weekend.
0: Ah. Have Woo. you recovered? Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. Monday was difficult. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, I did a couple of years of the 48, but there's nothing like that in Australia. And it's very weird trying to explain it to people. And mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, of course I have filmmaking experience. Like, doesn't everyone? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Isn't this like a universal experience? Yeah everyone's made a shot sorry you were gonna ask something oh i was just gonna ask um what was new in in your life what was new because we haven't caught up in a while mm,
0: mostly suffering No, oh, no um so uh, i mentioned this to Serena before we started recording but i'm currently working on my thesis amendments as part of actually finally fucking passing this piece of shit <laughs> um I've submitted it. I've had examiner's reports. I now need to amend my thesis to make the examiners happy. Uh, I had one examiner who thinks I'm incredible, offered some minor suggestions as to things that I could expand on, but generally was like, well-written, enjoyed reading it, great piece of work, go for gold. Mm -hmm. Other examiner gave me eight pages of bullet-pointed lists about what I'd done wrong. (laughs) I was like, ah, good. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you. Best of all, a number of those were incorrect. (laughs) So it's kind of like, oh, I'm so glad that you know everything about this field as the examiner of my work. <laughs> Very glad. Uh-oh. Um, so I'm sort of I've been in the process on and off for the last couple of weeks in discussion with my supervisors and working through these amendments, which is not fun, but it is necessary. Um, last week I went to Pine of Science, which is an annual science festival that happens sort of worldwide at the same time everywhere i organized it with my friend georgia a few years ago in melbourne we did the mind and body session so i went to two of the mind and body sessions in sydney as well which was very nice yeah quite uh, the national sponsor currently for pine of science australia is csiro the big science research that's not a university place they invented wi-fi which they Never stop telling you about, <laughs> <laughs> which like on the one hand, fair enough, Wi-Fi, yeah, like yeah. good job, but also shh, again, <laughs> we get it. <laughs> but they also mentioned polymer banknotes, which are uh, is oh. another thing I have heard about a number of times over the last week, and it's like okay, you're, you're cool, I get it, please leave me alone. Um, but some really cool talks are a couple on like food safety. So I got heavily judged by a food mycologist, so a guy who works on food mold, Mm -hmm. because I asked him a lot of questions about cheese. And he was like, do you do these things? And I was like, no. And he was just like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, sure. (laughs) Essentially, the base rule for mold on your food is if the food is hard, you can keep it. So, you know, the rhyme is hard. Don't discard. You can just cut off, I think, adding like a couple of centimeters to where the mold is because essentially the mycelium can't penetrate very deeply. But if the food is soft and wet, so for example, a yogurt or a soft cheese, just Mm -hmm. throw it out. Do not touch it. Do not eat it. It will be bad for you.
1: Good to know. Yeah. These are the fun things I learned. Handy living tips here on things of interest. (laughs) But yeah, that's kind of
0: what I've been doing. And flying to Sydney. Mm. Like a lot. Just, you know. Do you feel very, like, professional businesswoman? I do. I do. Well, because I, I go straight to work for my Monday morning flight, so I have to, like, fly in my business rags mm-hmm. and live in hotels, which is all, like, okay, sure. I also feel, like, not as bad about my carbon footprint as I might otherwise because all of these flights are just chockers. Like, they're always so full
1: mm.
0: with other business people flying to Sydney. <laughs> it's like, okay. I feel like we could probably do almost all of this work remotely. But all right.
1: Yeah. So I've only flown up to Auckland for work once. All the other times, like, it was for other stuff. But the one time I flew up to Auckland for work, it was for, I think, two meetings, Mm -hmm. which was really strange to me because I could have videoed in. You know, you feel all special, like, ooh, they're flying me up. And then you realize, "Ah, well, I could have just... Internet exists. I understand it to an
0: extent. I think the way we interact um, IRL is still very different to how, like, you would even interact with someone in a meeting over Skype. Yeah, um, that's true. In that, like, when I'm home on Fridays, I'll phone in for meetings and I just can't engage as much because I can't read anyone's body language. I talk a lot less in meetings when I phone in just because, like, I don't know when I'm meant to talk. Like, mm-hmm. I don't understand it unless someone's like, Sophia, and I'm like, here I am. These are my opinions. <laughs> and I think like the way, particularly the team I'm working with in Sydney communicates, we talk to each other all the time. We're regularly touching base with people. And like certainly I can do that as readily via like the workplace instant messenger, but not everyone in my team can. And so it makes mm-hmm. more sense for me to physically be there. So that the people who aren't as used to using MSM Messenger to speak to all of their friends. <laughs> will be able to talk to me, essentially. And I think, like, that's probably something that's going to take a while to change, considering, like, the age of people who make these kind of decisions.
1: That is something that I have noticed in the workplace, is that digital – the digital arm of our business, we use a chat service to talk to each other and to communicate all the time. It's, like, MSN Messenger, but for work. It's pretty much – it's called Flodoc. It's pretty much like Slack. And that's totally cool. But as soon as you start working with people outside of digital – you either email or you go and see them in person. And that difference is quite pronounced. Mm. Mm. I, like, I explained to a colleague the other day, like I
0: was pinging him questions on our like instant messenger. Mm. And he was like, can all of these wait? And I'm like, look, if it was important, I would walk the two meters to your desk yeah. and annoy you. Like these are things that can wait. Like if it was urgent, I would actually speak to you. You're like so close to me right now. Yeah. <laughs> But then, like, uh, we had a work, cute team building thing the other night. We did a virtual reality escape the room game. Oh, cute. And I just, I love VR. I love it so much. (laughs) I just, oh. I was very good at the game. Because I'm just, like, I'm used to video game logic. And I think Mm. the puzzles were designed quite well. Particularly considering that we were using VR. The time you, you get like an hour to sort of like solve the puzzle and you know there's a space-based thing so it's like save the universe whatever and I think you're given that hour at least to an extent because like the interfacing with the virtual reality takes like a while to get the hang of and to know what you need to do and to know how to use different things let alone solving the puzzles and because yeah. like I'm quite intuitive with that stuff I would pick it up really quickly and I would like solve puzzles Quickly then, because, like, the puzzles aren't that hard. It's the figuring out how to, like, actually use the things you need to use. Mm. That's difficult. Yeah, no, some other members of the team uh, took a bit longer to get the hang of it. Whereas I was just like, oh, cool, this is virtual reality. Oh, this is how the controls work. Let's go. Yeah. (laughs) Which I didn't realize that not all of my colleagues would have, if
1: that makes sense. Yeah, because it's like, if it's something you do quite often, it just becomes second nature, the medium that you work in.
0: Just even the sense that, like, I can pick up technology stuff quite quickly still, mm. which I'm happy with. Like, I feel like that's <laughs> going to go away at some point. But for now, <laughs> I can still just kind of, like, engage with that stuff. And I think things like virtual reality will make that traveling for work less necessary because we do interact more like we do, if that makes sense. Yeah. I- I'm, like, i realizing that I'm not using very good words for any of this. <laughs>
1: Because there aren't words yet invented for a lot of this, f- these phenomena. So it is a it is a fear of mine though that you know I'll get to an age where one day I just won't be able to understand newer technologies.
0: I think the clearest thing to me right now is the differences in how we most naturally use technologies. Mm. So I think people like a couple of even a couple of years younger than us, and like definitely kids who are growing up now, will use voice a lot more readily than we do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, like, I use voice a bit with my phone, particularly when I'm at home. But by and large, like, if I want to do something, I'll just do it. Like, I'll use yep. my phones. That's what they're there for, in my opinion. Whereas <laughs> I think people growing up where every technology has, like, the voice capacity, they will find it much more natural to use voice of the first instance. And then if that doesn't work, be like, oh, fine. <laughs> and, like, actually interface with a computer. That's my instinct anyway. Mm-hmm and eventually the sea levels will rise and drown us all. So. <laughs> oh yeah, we were talking about that. It's just it's just really outpacing that with technology. Yeah. I reckon I reckon we are going to go to space. I reckon like we're not actually going to stop global warming, but in fact we're just going to leave the earth.
1: I have the opposite. Op- well, I have the opposite opinion. Not I don't know whether we will or won't quote-unquote go to space but i don't think we should see that as a solution oh i don't think it's a solution (laughs) i think it's just what we're gonna do (laughs) yeah i space is big and i just don't see it as a viable solution i think it's it's escapism it's like we have a problem let's run away from it rather than we have a really hard problem we're not going to solve it in our lifetimes but we have to start now and yeah that that's not as appealing as space because space is awesome but space is also really really empty and big and everything's really far away from each other i don't think we should be focusing on space as a solution to our global problems i think it's awesome and we should definitely like keep doing exploration but yeah it worries me that like you know i'll be talking about global warming with friends or with colleagues and inevitably there'll always be one or two people who are like don't worry we'll be living on mars yeah but like then we're gonna fuck mars up do worry
0: (laughs) like we can't just keep planet hopping yeah but i don't
1: i don't even think we're gonna get to mars in our lifetime like it's not like yes we might get there physically but i don't think we're going to live there definitely not within our lifetimes and probably not even within the next two or three generations because terraforming is difficult. All of these things yeah. are, are really, really hard and made many, many hundreds of times harder because it's so far away and communication will take eight minutes, like round trip. So it's very tempting to imagine a future where we would have escaped this dying Earth uh, and we, you know, set our sights to new horizons, new planets, amazing technologies. But I think a big part of why that's so compelling is because it serves as a a distraction for the very real very hard work that we'll have to do back on our home planet to actually solve anything yeah um and that and unfortunately that's the hard work that we're going to have to do to do anything
0: it's an escapist fantasy but as like anyone who's been to therapy knows we need to remember that just
1: fantasy yeah it's it's nice i think about it all the time
0: Alrighty, this has been Things of Interest. We have talked about global warming, landfill, recycling, virtual reality. Budgets. (laughs) The budget, yeah, politics, and how the solution isn't to go to space. We can't just run away from this problem we've created. We need to actually sit down and fix the planet and make it a little bit better. Um, As always, you can email us at castinginterest at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at castinginterest. And Facebook under things of interest. If you liked this episode, if you've liked our other episodes, please do give us a review, leave some stars. It's not called iTunes anymore, it's Apple Podcasts. Oh. Which, it's been for, like, months, and I keep trying to remember to say something to you about <laughs> it and just forgetting. But yeah, whatever Apple is using, uh-huh. like, just leave us a review on <laughs> that. Like, that sounds great. I've been Sophia Friends.
1: And I'm Serena Chen.
0: Uh, and as always, stay interesting.